Good morning, Jacobs Well Church. Uh, so glad you could join us. Uh, just in case you didn't get the update, uh, in two weeks we are going to be starting an indoor service at 8.30 a.m. Uh, we will be requiring masks for those who are in the building as well as trying to practice social distancing. And uh, there will be no child care available, but we will have rooms set aside with audio and video uh, if you need to take your kids out of the sanctuary. And so we're excited for that. Also today, we start our open air services. I'm so excited for that. Uh, we have about 200 people in lawn chairs and about 40 cars joining us for that. It's going to be a great time to, to be together, to worship the Lord, to hear from the Lord together. And uh, we are going to be doing that again next week. And so if you're interested in coming to the open air service, encourage you you uh, to go onto our website and to register for that. You'll look at the top of our website and the second main item on there is registration for the open air service. And so please uh, do that. We're going to probably have registration for church for the next few weeks, uh, maybe months, because we need to organize the church appropriately uh, for to make sure everyone can be seated in the appropriate place and can see and can hear and so that we can practice social distancing during that time. And so please go online to register if you would. Uh, also wanted to let you know that uh, we are not, uh, sorry, let me back up. We are, that over the next few weeks, <laughs> it plays into this well, uh, for this online video uh, sermon that you will hear, there's not going to be a lot of post-production simply because it takes about six to eight hours to post-produce these, to put in the words, to cut out all the mistakes I make because I make a lot of mistakes. And so you're just going to kind of get the raw video. You'll need to get your own Bible out and do the own work, your own work of going through it and looking up the passages and things like that. Um, in two weeks, we're hoping to we're hoping to have live streaming and we will have more of that editing in there as we live stream. But this week and next week, uh, it won't be as flashy as in the past. So there won't be pictures and things like that. Um, also, for the kids, for their coloring assignment for this week, uh, wanted to let you, uh, wanted to give this assignment, uh, which is to draw a picture of something that you enjoy doing when you're alone, uh, when no one else is around. What do you like to do? And so that's your assignment. It could be reading books. It could be playing with dolls, it could be building Legos or shooting hoops or whatever it might be. That is the assignment this week for our kids. So draw a picture of that, take a picture of it, and feel free to post it on our Facebook page. Uh, we're not going to have a fancy fellowship time like we're used to with the pictures and things like that. And so if you need to pause the video, feel free to do that right now. Um, but if you're ready, please go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, okay? Uh, this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, has been so rich because it deals with very practical issues that the Corinthians have been asking Paul to address. They are seeking his wisdom on. And so it has covered topics like marriage, like divorce, like our calling in life. And today, we're going to see how it addresses the matter of singleness, uh, those who are unmarried and belong to the Lord. 
And so we're going to start reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 6 through 9, and then we're going to skip down and read verse 25 through the end. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to start with verses 6 through 9. But brother, go... <laughs> Sorry, started cha- wrong chapter. Verse 6 of chapter 7. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. All right, let's go ahead and skip down to verse 25 and read through the end. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as those they had no good, as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, She's free to be married, to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord, as we enter into your word written for us about singleness, pray, God, that you would give us open hearts as single people, as married people, as your church, to learn what you have to teach us about what it means to be single for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How do I live without you? I want to know. How do I breathe without you? If you ever go, Leanne rhymes. All that you are is all that I'll ever need. Ed Shearing. Everything I do, everything I do, I do it for you. Brian Adams. You don't marry someone you can live with. You marry someone you cannot live without. It's anonymous. I'd never lived before your love, Kelly Clarkson. Finally, you complete me, Tom Cruise. Messages like these are pounded into our heads and our hearts from childhood. What they communicate is that if I don't find my soulmate, I'm not really living. I can't breathe if I don't find my soulmate. I don't have what I need in my life if I don't find my soulmate. I don't have a purpose in life, and I am incomplete if I don't find my soulmate. You know, I'm perfectly fine with there being love songs and love poems and love stories. We have the songs of Solomon and the Bible. That's great and wonderful. But what these messages that we're getting from popular culture do is they take a very good thing, which is marriage, and they make it an ultimate thing. Our culture sells us this lie that to really live, to really have purpose, to be a complete person, we must be married to our soulmate. Sadly, sometimes the church communicates a similar message, as if the goal of our Christian life is to find that one person that God has for us, to marry them, and to have lots of children. In the Roman Empire, during the time of Paul, widows were actually fined if they did not remarry within a certain amount of time because they didn't want them to be single. It was a burden on society. The the Jews at that time, many of them thought in order to be a faithful Christian, you had to fulfill the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The world as a whole seems to be against singleness. And what adds to our negative understanding of singleness is the difficulty of being single. I emailed a handful of folks in our church who are single and asked them, what is it like to be single at Jacobswell Church? And I have to tell you, their honesty and transparency was nothing less than courageous. And so I'm so appreciative of their responses. But I want to read you a little bit of what they said, okay, of what it's like to be single at Jacobswell Church, and just single in general. 
once said, I wish I could say I was single and satisfied. But most days, that continues to be a struggle. I'm thankful when I get a chance to play with, take care of, or love on and support people's children. But it's different than having my own family, so I feel like I'm missing out. I love the idea of picnics and game nights. Those are some of the hardest for me personally. Again, probably some of my own issues because I always feel like I will need to tag along with someone else's family when I get there if I have enough courage to go. Another person said, you know, I actually don't mind church being shut down. I always feel a little strange because many times I sit by myself and at the fellowship time and after the service, everyone seems to be huddled in their groups talking. Others wrote about how it is just so hard to not have someone under the same roof to share your burdens with and your joys with. You know, as I read these letters, I was heartbroken and it's obvious that we as a church can grow in loving our single brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I can't tell you how painful it was when I came to the realization that our first Sunday back together to worship together, uh, we are practicing social distancing and asking people to stay six feet apart. Singleness is hard. And, And so because the culture says single people are incomplete, And because the church tends to idolize marriage and families, and because singles know experientially the loneliness and difficulty of singleness, we quickly come to the conclusion that singleness is a bad thing that is to be avoided at all costs. Today, God's word hammers against our low view of singleness. The low view held by the world, by the church, and often by us as well, whether we're married or single. In today's passage, the Apostle Paul not only talks about singleness, Paul dignifies singleness. He encourages singleness and even celebrates singleness. And so there are two questions I want to answer today from God's word. And the first is this. Who should embrace singleness as a way of life? Who should embrace singleness as a way of life? And secondly, why should we celebrate singleness in the church? So first, who should embrace singleness as a way of life? And we see here three different categories of people who should embrace singleness as a way of life. First are the gifted. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, now as a concession, not as a command, okay, not as a command. This is very much unlike Paul. Paul is offering wisdom and discernment, not commands in this passage about singleness, okay? So he says, not as a concession, now as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, that is single, Paul's talking about. But each has his own gift from God, which is a spiritual gift, a gift given by God, for God. He says, one of one kind and one of another. And so Paul is saying that he has been given the gift of singleness and that he wishes the singles in Corinth would have that same gift. Because Paul is convinced That singleness is a great gift to have from God. Now, this doesn't mean that 
that, that those who are single and given the gift of singleness don't sometimes get lonely, don't sometimes wish they had a companion or were married or don't have romantic longings, but that someone who is given the gift of singleness is content with being single. They're, they're, they're content without pursuing a relationship. Verse 8, Paul goes on and he says, To the unmarried and the widow, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. Why should they marry? Because they don't have the gift of singleness. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, if you hear that singleness is a gift and you're single and you say, Oh, Lord, please do not let singleness be my gift. If you took a spiritual gift survey and you're like, please give me any gift but singleness. I will take the gift of administration or generosity or suffering. Just any gift but singleness. If that's kind of what goes through your head, guess what? You don't have the gift of singleness. And that's perfectly fine. You know, I remember when I was in seminary, there was a gentleman there who was single. And he told me that he was, uh, he believed that he was called to being single, that he had the gift of singleness. And I, I was skeptical. I thought to myself, well, maybe he just not, has not met the right woman. But he was perfectly happy being single. Not that it wasn't hard to be single, but he was happy to be single because he wanted to devote his time and energy exclusively to the Lord. We'll talk more about that later. But who should embrace a life of singleness? Those gifted for singleness. Secondly, the distressed. Look at verse 25 with me. Now concerning the betrothed, that could be translated a maiden or unmarried daughter or a virgin, simply someone who's not married, okay? He again says, I have no command from the Lord. All right, so he's not commanding anything. He's just providing situational wisdom. He says, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. He's a reputable person. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, the, 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 the constraints is what he's saying, the, the, the present constraints, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now, we don't know what the present distresses were that Paul was addressing in Corinth, but I guarantee you, the Corinthians knew what that distress was. I mean, for example, just today, if I said, you know, in, in light of the present distress, it's good for you probably to not quit your job and look for another one. I'm not commanding this, but it just seems situationally, given the current distress, wisdom would say, don't quit your job and look for another job. Now, if someone read that 2,000 years from now, now, they may not know what the current distress of this situation is, but you do. You know the current distress. It's, it's, the, it's the coronavirus and the economy and unemployment because of it. And in this current distress, it's probably not the wisest to quit your job and go look for another job. Now, what was the distress in Corinth? Like I said, we don't know for sure, but we do know later in 1 Corinthians, we read that the poor were going hungry. We also know that persecution was, was, was escalating during this time. Christians were actually taken and, and they would take animal skins and sew it on them and throw it in for predators to attack them. And so there was some sort of distress in Corinth at that time. And Paul says, during this current distress, it is not good. It, it, not, maybe he didn't say it's not good. He just says it's better not to marry. 
And so even if you are not gifted for singleness, there might be certain distressful situations in our culture or in your life that might make it wise to remain single for a season. For example, maybe you just became a Christian and you're trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out. And you, you think to yourself, you know what, I just need to take some time just to focus on my relationship with the Lord, with cultivating that and being established. That's a great reason to remain single for a season. Maybe you have been hurt or maybe you've hurt others and you're in counseling and trying to figure out how to get some healing and wholeness. It's a distressing situation. It might be good to wait and to not marry yet or to look to be married yet. Maybe you are struggling with some addiction and you want some sobriety before you bring someone else into your situation. It's a distressing situation where it might be wise to stay single for a season. Maybe you're between jobs or you don't have a job and you're looking for a job. Maybe, maybe your focus should be on finding employment to provide for your wife and your children. I know in divorce care, they say that after you are divorced, you should wait a certain amount of time. I can't remember if it's one year or two years before you start dating again. And people who are divorced most of the time say, I don't want to wait. But then after they have walked a few years, they say, yeah, that was wise. I was in a distressing situation. I shouldn't have dated right after I got divorced. Now, none of these are commands, but they are situational wisdom we must consider when we're faced with distressing or limited situations. And so who should embrace a life of singleness? Those that are gifted to be single, okay? Also, those in distressing situations that maybe need to get some solid ground before they move forward with a relationship. The third group of people that should embrace a life of singleness are those that are assigned to singleness. Look at verse 17 with me. Paul says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him or delegated or distributed to him and to which God has called him. Two weeks ago, we talked a lot about this passage and this verse about calling. And, and what we said is that our calling is not so much um, what we do. So it's not, it's not our situation. Our, our calling is not to be a husband or a wife or to be a parent. That's not our primary calling. Our primary calling is to worship God and to glorify God and to enjoy God no matter what our situation is, okay? But with that said, our secondary calling is very important. And, and Paul here calls it an assignment, that it has been assigned to you, this secondary calling. And one of those secondary callings is whether we are married or whether we are single. And so if you are wondering, uh, is my secondary calling to be single? Am I assigned to be single? I have a very simple test for you. Answer this question. Are you single? If the answer is yes, then you have been assigned to singleness at least for today or for this season. Now, like many other assignments, this assignment may last a few weeks, a few months, a few years. It may last the rest of your life. But here's what Paul's saying. While you are assigned to a life of singleness, for however long that assignment lasts, lead the life of a single Christian. Embrace the beauty of singleness in the Lord as an assignment from God. 
You know, my guess is for the majority of singles in our congregation, you have not been gifted with singleness. You ache so deeply to be married in ways that only God knows. Because you want to be married so bad. You're not in a distressing situation right now. Life isn't perfect, but you're in a place fairly stable where you could get married. But God has assigned to you today his will for you, his calling, his secondary calling on your life is to be single for the glory of God. Your singleness is not an oversight by God. You're not in a holding pattern waiting to fulfill your calling. God has delegated singleness to you as your secondary calling in this very moment to enjoy him and glorify him in the midst of it. Pastor Sam Albury is a single pastor in his 40s, and he wrote a book called Seven Myths About Singleness. I got to look through it just a little bit. It looks like a fantastic book. But he says this, he says, if we balk at the idea of singleness being a gift, it is not because God has not understood us, but because we have not understood him. You see, God always has good purposes for his people, even for your singleness, just as he does for those who are married. And so who should embrace singleness as a way of life? Those gifted for singleness. Those in distressing situation where they need to get more, uh, a more solid footing before moving forward in a marriage relationship. Or those who have been assigned to singleness and are called to follow Christ as a single Christian as long as that is their assignment. So that's the first question. Who should embrace singleness as a way of life? The second question is this. Why should we celebrate not tolerate, why should we celebrate singleness in the church? Simply put, the reason why we should celebrate singleness in the church is because singleness is a good thing. That's the same reason why we celebrate marriages and babies, because they too are good things. You know, to my single brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe you hear a, your pastor saying singleness is a good thing, and you may say, what do you know about singleness? I've been married for Close to 20 years, happily married with four kids. And so you may feel, when you hear me say singleness is a good thing, you may feel frustrated or, or angry or, or unknown or unheard, maybe even a little bitter. And so please let me tell you that, that, that this statement that marriage is good doesn't come from me. It comes from God's word. It comes from a 40-year-old single man named the Apostle Paul. This is what he says. Look at verse 8. He says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single. It is good for them to remain single. It is good for them to remain single as I am. Verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. In other words, if you are single, it is good to remain single. This word for good in the Greek is kalos, and it means beautiful or excellent or precious, useful, commendable, admirable, noble. This is how Paul is describing singleness. I'm curious, whether you are married or single, would you describe singleness in this way? Would you say singleness is beautiful? Singleness is excellent. It is precious commendable. Paul continues down in verse 38. 
And he says, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Verse 40. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. That is, if she remains single. Why does Paul say singleness is good, that it's better, that it's happier for the gifted, the distressed, and the assigned? Well, the answer is found in verse 32 through 35. And as I read through this passage, a couple words I want you to highlight in your mind or on the paper is the word anxiety and divided, okay, and different forms of those words. So here we are, verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Now, I know for us, if you're if you are familiar with the Bible, the word anxiety probably has negative connotations, and most of the time, rightfully so, right? The Lord says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your requests before God. But here, anxiety is, is, is talking about simply concerning yourself about someone else, okay? Taking thought, being mindful of them, all right? And so he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious, right? He's mindful of, he's taking interest in about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about or, <clears throat> or thinks about worldly things, how to please his wife, which is not a bad thing. <clears throat> and its interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious or mindful about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious or mindful about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let me just summarize very simply what Paul is saying here in this passage. And I think the SV study notes puts it this way, and I think it's spot on. He's saying singleness is good, because it allows for you to have single-minded devotion to the Lord. Single-minded devotion to the Lord. Single-mindedness in your pursuits. Single-mindedness in your thoughts. Single-mindedness in your efforts. In an article I read, it, it said that singleness is an advantage in our time, in our energy, and our focus. For example, the Apostle Paul could not have been a faithful husband and father and still have traveled the world to plant churches. To be honest with you, there are many traveling evangelists in our country's history who are very famous, who I think should have never been married, or they should not have been a traveling evangelist. Because you can read from their children the wreckage that it created in their family because of their neglect, because they were gone so much. Not only was Paul single, for undivided focus and service to the Lord. There are many Christians today. John Stott is one who I just so appreciate, who was one of the most productive pastors and scholars in modern Christianity, and he was single his entire life. And he says, you know, if marriage is good, singleness is also good. It's an example of the balance of Scripture that although Genesis 2.18 indicates that it is good to marry, 1 Corinthians 7 says that it is good for a man not to marry. So both the married and single states are good. Neither is in itself better or worse than the other. That's what John Stott said. You know, when you are single, there is moments where it is just you and God. 
If you're single and this afternoon you want to go for three hours in the woods with your Bible to pray and to, to, to commune with God, you can do that. Usually, I mean, if you don't have other commitments, there, there's not much hindrance to do it. If you're married, you probably have to plan a week out. If you have kids, you might have to plan a month out for that. You know, something very ironic that happened this past week is when we were studying this passage in community group over Zoom, uh, our Bible study leader, when he got to this part of the passage, uh, he had to leave the meeting to go tend to his family because something was going on that he had to go help out with. And so, so he said, Pastor Dan, can you take over? I said, sure. And then it struck us how ironic it was that the very thing that Paul is saying here was illustrated before us, that his interests were divided between family and between ministry towards others. I'll be honest with you. While I love being married and having kids, there are times I long for the flexibility of singleness, where I could just go out with a bunch of guys and grab wings at night and talk about Jesus, where I could go on various mission trips throughout the year, where I wouldn't have to pay for braces and schooling and lots and lots and lots of food, but could use my, ministry, my money towards ministry of some sort. There are days that I, I, I long for singleness, but I'm also sure that if I was single, I would long to be married with kids. You see, each situation, single or married, has positives and negatives. And what I tend to do, and I think many of us tend to do, is I take the negative of my situation and compare it with the positive of the opposite situation. And rather, and rather instead of focusing on the positives of my situation and of their situation and giving thanks before God, I become discontent with my own situation. Pastor Sam Alberry, again, a, a single man in his 40s, puts it this way. He says, the danger is that we compare the downs of our own situation with the ups of the alternative. We singles easily look at the ups of marriage and compare them with the downs of singleness. And it is just as easy for married people to do the same in reverse. I am one of those who is guilty of that. See, singleness is hard, for sure. But it does have its advantages. Sam Alberry goes on, and I love this quote. I'll say it twice because it takes some thinking. He says, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. Okay, so, so if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's the shape of the gospel. Singleness shows us its sufficiency. You see, not only do singles have great opportunities to grow closer to God and to have gospel ministry, but they also have an opportunity to show the world the abundance of the riches of the love of the grace of God found in the gospel, to show that God is enough to satisfy our souls. One of the singles in our church who had emailed me about what it was like to be single said this. She said, there is a high premium placed on God's word in this church. This is the single most important thing that has helped me navigate the lonely waters of singleness. The truth of God's word. Being encouraged to think upon that what is, what is true and noble and lovely instead of dwelling on my, quote, sad estate. Has made me realize that being single is where I am in life, but it is not who I am. My identity is not in whether I am single or whether I am married. 
It is in the fact that Jesus died for me, that I belong to God, and that because of that, I am fully his. Does that not testify to the greatness and sufficiency of our God? That regardless of our situation, God is enough. I mean, what greater husband is there than the Lord Jesus? What other husband would come into this fallen world on our behalf, pursue us even though we run from him and sin against him time and time again? What other groom could take our sin upon himself, endure the horrendous just wrath of God that we deserve and die in our place so that we might live with him forever and commune with him even now through the Holy Spirit at all times? What other groom could do that? What other groom cherishes us enough to unconditionally love our rebel souls? Singleness is good, but God is enough. I think this truth is hard for singles to grasp, but also for married people, especially parents, moms and dads who long to see their kids get married and have companionship. Can we recognize that maybe we idolize marriage for them? That singleness is good when devoted to the Lord and celebrate it with our children if God calls them to a life of singleness. Why should we celebrate singleness in the church? Because it is good, God says. It provides undivided devotion to the Lord and it demonstrates the surpassing sufficiency and greatness and satisfaction of God for our souls. Let me end with this. Richard Bach is an American author, uh, famous in the 1970s. And I don't know if he was a Christian or not. I don't know where he was in his faith. But he said this, and I thought it was so good. He said, true love stories never have endings. True love stories never have endings. You know, the reason why Christians can be single and satisfied, the reason we can celebrate singleness is because you are a part of a love story that has no end. In fact, for the Christian, every Christian, your singleness is only temporary. The other week I was talking to Pastor Dan Breed and Appleton on the phone, and he was arguing that, that in this world we should strive to be what we're going to be in heaven. And I said, but Dan, it, it, it seems inconsistent because in heaven we won't be married. And he said, oh, but we will be married. And it clicked for me. He was right. Do you know why Jesus was single? Because he was gifted? Probably gifted for singleness. Because he was in distressing situations? For sure. Because he was appointed to be single? Most certainly. But the primary reason Jesus was and is single it's because he is waiting for his bride. He is waiting for his church. He is waiting for you. In an article by Vaughn Roberts, he says this. He says, many who are presently single will one day marry. Others will remain single throughout their lives. But no Christian is single forever. Human marriage reflects the marriage God wants to enjoy with his people forever. The Bible speaks of Jesus as the bridegroom who will one day return to take his bride, the church, to be with him and the perfect new creation. 
on that day, all pain will disappear, including the pain of a difficult marriage or singleness. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and a great shout will be heard. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Revelation 7 and 19. And then he goes on in the article and he says this, after we had spoken about heaven, an elderly single lady said to me, I can't wait for my wedding day. I can't wait for my wedding day. Christian, whether you are single or married, we share this hope. Your groom, the Lord Jesus, is waiting for you. Are you excited for your wedding day? Let's pray. Lord God, I want to confess first off that I've often not had the right view of singleness, Lord. That I've viewed singleness as a curse instead of a blessing. Forgive me, forgive any of us who've had that view of singleness, Lord. God, we do pray for those in our church who are single. We pray, Lord, that they would celebrate their singleness, even though it is hard much of the time that they would celebrate it as an opportunity to grow closer to you, to serve you, to, 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 to be dependent on you more and more, and to not be distracted by other worldly cares. May they celebrate it. May we as a church celebrate singleness and encourage people in embracing and living out a life of singleness. Pray also that we as a church would, would do that well, that we would love our single brothers and sisters in Christ. God, Lord, I pray our our single brothers and sisters in Christ would not feel like they are a burden or a third wheel or a, a fifth wheel. God, pray that you push that out of their mind because we love our single brothers and sisters in Christ and we love fellowshipping with them. And so God, pray that you'll bring unity and family and wholeness and love as we seek to celebrate singleness together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hear now God's benediction and charge. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. And he will never leave you or forsake you. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a great week. Hope you can make it out with us next week, but if not, we'll have another message online for you. Love you all. Bye.